Welcome to Lawler Out Loud, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christy Lawler, and this podcast focuses on highlighting the amazing men and women that make a difference in the world. We hope to prove that every single person has the power to make a difference and make an impact. Today's guest is Nicola Nice. So first, let me thank you, Nicola, for joining us and sharing your story and your experiences and your path in this industry. I find you to be a very fascinating person with your background. So I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be reconnected with you. I know. We haven't spoken in a little over a year, so we are well overdue. Uh, Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I know that you're part of uh, the Women's Cocktail Collective, correct? You're yes, a founding right. member, aren't you? That's right. Yes. Okay. So we definitely have to touch about a touch on that. Um, but I would love to start by uh, giving us the storyline of you, um, whether it's, you know, your childhood, your education, and, and your career trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you like to share? Wow. Wow, thank you. Um, well, um, I'm I'm the founder and CEO of Pomp and Whimsy, uh, which is a gin cordial that's been inspired by a style of gin that was popular about 150 years ago, back when the spirit was better known as Mother Gin. Um, how did I get here? <laughs> How did I become a gin producer? Um, people often ask me that question. Um, I. I I started my career really in academia, so I trained as a sociologist and did a PhD in sociology after my first degree and spent some time in academic research and social research. Um, The area that I specialized in was public understanding of science. So I've always been fascinated in how different viewpoints come together to create, let's say, policy or create a brand or create a narrative. And this is something that has always fascinated me. And Mm -hmm. so research and people and culture is what's really connected every move that I've made in my career. So starting in academia, as I said, spending some time in social policy research before moving into management consultancy and business strategy and always really focusing my expertise around consumer insights and macro trends in culture and society, changes in behavior and how we connect this back to brand experiences. And this ultimately led me into uh, brand research and strategy and innovation. And that led me to founding my own agency, Think Conservatory, which I've been running for the last 13 years. And my work in spirits and the spirits sector is what Mm -hmm. ultimately drove me to wanting to put all of that insight into action and creating my own brand and seeing it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. So obviously one would lend itself to the other going from the academic world into the professional world and helping people build themselves and build their understandings. But did you start with the uh, position of going into the uh, 
spirits or beverage industry? So I think two things kind of came together, which I think is often the case in startups or, you know, entrepreneur-led ventures, which is that my professional expertise married with my personal passion. So on the professional side, I've always specialized in my career in advocating for a female consumer. So I I spent about 50% of the or let's say of my clients and the the work that I was doing in my consultancy was in in sectors that you would imagine impact the female consumer a lot. So fashion, Mm -hmm. beauty, personal care, but about 50% of my work was then in spirits. And one of the things that always struck me as I pivoted from talking to women about personal care um, and skincare and beauty and so on to spirits is that we have a sector here that women are very engaged in, right? You only need to take a look at Pinterest or Instagram to see that women are engaged in cocktails, they're engaged in spirits, they, they really drive cocktailing trends in the home. And yet when you look at the brand and marketing landscape, they're severely underrepresented. So yeah. there are few, if any, brands that really put women first. And there's a sort of age old view in the industry that you don't, that actually you speak to women through men. Um, in the world of spirits and hard alcohol and Mm -hmm. I always felt like this was a missed opportunity so as a woman this was something that bothered me and it bothered other women when I talked to them about it as an academic it was something that I was curious about I'm always curious when there seems to be some sort of social norm that's dictating behavior particularly brand behavior and I'm like Mm -hmm. you know is it that it can't be done or is it just that it's not being done well and then as an entrepreneur I felt like hey, there's a lot of money to be made here that by taking women seriously, we're leaving money on the table by not exploring this further. And then, as I said, bringing that together with a personal passion, I, I love spirits and I love cocktails. And it's, it's one of the things that I enjoy most in my personal life. And I enjoy the whole ritual of hospitality. I ho- enjoy the whole anthropology of the cocktail. And yeah. it was really just kind of bringing all of those things together. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. But I agree with you. And, and I used to work for a company that did a marketing pivot on our core brand. And um, they decided that they were only going to target men. <clears throat> and all of the women in the room that were selling the brand and also consuming it were like, seriously mm-hmm. we're just going to ignore that women exist right and to go even further back I remember one of one of my earlier jobs in my career I was working with military spouse magazine mm-hmm. and I was um, I ended up writing for the publication eventually but I was selling advertising I was one of the first five team members of that publication mm-hmm. being a military spouse and I called Mazda about doing an ad or an advertorial and the response I got from them floored me and made me commit to never purchasing a Mazda vehicle for the rest of my life they said we actually don't target women right and I said okay you have vehicles that carry families and yet you're not targeting women though well Military spouses don't make a lot of decisions. What? 
okay (laughs) now we're done I was like oh my god that is like the worst thing you can say to a working military spouse is that our we don't make any decisions right (laughs) oh my god I was like nope nope I'm done I'm never buying a Mazda. My my money will do my talking. Absolutely. But I was so floored by that. Right. And that was that was my first foray into, oh my God, women aren't being properly targeted. We're right. not even being recognized by some right. um, consumers or advertisers. And it, our our opinions and our decisions aren't valued enough. And I was like, okay. And that was well before I heard about the pink tax. Right. right. And I was like, oh my gosh, this yes. is just nothing about this is okay for me personally. I mean, yeah. maybe okay for others and that's fine. But for me personally, I was like, well, I have to take a stand, right? Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, that was, that was like 20 years ago, I think, right? Maybe, 15 at least. Um, yeah. But it's, it's fascinating. So, and you found this gap and you started immediately working on ways to fill it. So I want to kind of dive into that. Like, how did, how did this come to pass? Like, how did you make the discovery? Yeah, well, there, there were sort of two, two angles to it. The first was, and, and both of them, of course, you know, you're going to see the theme here, which is everything that I do is heavily research-based. So I'll, I'll always be a nerd and an academic at heart. And I always want to attack problems with data and with, um, reality and not just create something because I think it's good, you know, or because I made yeah. it for my friends and they said, this is really good. You should make it. I wanted to, everything to be sort of evidence driven. So the first thing that I did was delve into the history of gin itself. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about why it had to be gin for, as well, because okay. obviously, you know, it, I, I could have, in theory, chosen any spirit, but there was a reason why it needed to be gin. Um, and the first is that gin actually, as a spirit, is a is a spirit that has a long history with women. So as I mentioned in the beginning in my introduction, um, back in the day, the spirit was had the nickname Mother Gin. And it later, this kind of got morphed by propaganda, because this is another thing that we can talk about, which is the way women are represented as drinkers or have been, you know, and there's been there's a lot of sort of social and cultural stigma that's been applied to us. And and gin later became called became known as Mother's Ruin. But in the beginning, Mm. it was Mother Gin. And this was a very different kind of spin on the spirit. And it was largely to do with the fact that women made gin, they consumed it, they sold it, they socialized around it. And it was a spirit that was, you know, ha- was seen as having an inherently female personality. It's exotic, it's perfumed, it's intoxicating, mm-hmm. it's seductive. Um, and most importantly for me, there was this style of gin that was really popular with women. So people used to drink gin in a very different way to how we've got used to it long before um, tonic was invented. People Mm -hmm. were drinking gin with sugar and bitters uh, and they were drinking it first thing in the morning. The Victorians had a pretty rich diet and they believed that gin had these gastrointestinal properties. And of course, bitters were like the original multivitamins and neither Mm -hmm. of them tasted great by themselves. But if you mix them together and added sugar, it was pretty good. 
Um, And for those people who were not mixing their own, they were buying what we might now call sort of ready to drink or ready prepared gin cordials, which were gins that retailers had infused with their own recipes and cut the proof so that it was easier to drink and obviously added sugar to it. And these cordials were consumed by women, served at all of their social gatherings, the precursor to the cocktail party, which was the afternoon tea party. Um, And they'd make their own beverage recipes and they'd pass them on from mother to daughter. So it seemed really clear to me that, hey, we have this whole history of the spirit that we Mm -hmm. need to bring back and celebrate. And let's bring back Mother Gin, right? So that was part of it. But then, of course, that was just the backstory. I needed to create something that was going to be about women today, right? So... You know, I we, we talk about our consumer as the modern hostess. These are women, well, women and men, but primarily we're taking a female-led approach here, which is that women like to, to host. They like to share experiences with, with other people. They like to make people feel good with the things they make for them when they host them in their, in their homes or in the bar or anywhere else. And so I did a lot of research with women on the types of spirit that they were looking for that would give, you know, give them that flexibility, that versatility, make simple, easy to prepare cocktails. But I was hearing very clearly from women also that they were looking for a spirit that they could sip straight. And I was primarily looking into white spirits because I kept hearing over and over again that women really liked this idea of botanically infused spirits. They were kind of tired of these sort of cupcake vodkas and things that were kind of belittling and um, demeaning and they were looking for more sophisticated flavor experience kid flavors yeah Yeah. exactly and you know I would kind of say to them well you know what you're describing is gin if you're talking about a neutral white spirit base that you're then infusing with botanicals that's that's gin and what the response that I would get to this was but I don't like gin or gin is my uncle's drink or I've had a bad experience with it or it tastes like Christmas trees or I don't like tonic. And I realized (laughs) that there's this cognitive dissonance, as we call in psychology, between what gin sounds like as an idea and going back to this idea of mother gin and, you know, and what it actually tastes like, especially in its kind of London dry form that has become the Mm -hmm. dominant form and style of gin. And so I realized that I, I needed to create what I thought women had in mind when they were describing to me their ideal gin. And I realized that that was this, the gin cordial. Um, and that, so I had to sort of bring it back, but I had to update it for a modern palette and modern mixology. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, and I love the name too. I love the name. I think it's fantastic. And I'm a gin consumer. I, I really have always loved gin um, ever since I first encountered it when I was like 21. Yes. Um, I've always really enjoyed um, the botanicals and the uh, aromas mm-hmm. that come with it. Right. Um, so, but I, I understand like juniper, which is, you know, the primary mm-hmm. uh, resonating aroma and flavor it can it's a polarizing berry mm-hmm. I mean it does it's I mean it does kind of like pine salt mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit um so I get that and when Hendrix came to market that was one of those things where I was like wow now this is gin right and then fast forward years later um I was working for Sydney Frank and we it, 
import started importing monkey 47 mm. and i was like oh my god my mind is blown <laughs> right right i still have some of that in my house and it is a it's a treat it is <laughs> from my uh my yes. consumer my uh customer stockpile of like i used to send samples or whatever oh my gosh when when we lost that brand out of the portfolio with the merger with Moss Jägermeister I was like well I am so glad I have this <laughs> right exactly because I am set yes. um but I so this is this is a fascinating story and and the fact that you were in one area turned it into another and then evolved it again to create your own stamp and your own mark on the world. And that's what I admire is people that just see something and just do it. Mm-hmm. You don't just talk about it. You do right. it. Um, because I'm, I'm very similar. Like I see something and I'm like, well, if no one else is going to do this, why wouldn't it be me? Right. I don't know that I'm necessarily the best person to make this happen, but I can try. Right. Exactly. And I'm not afraid of failing. I mean, yeah. I've failed so often in my life and career and various areas. And failure is what has taught me what success looks like. Right. Because how do we know if something's easy, you don't learn anything. Right. It's when something is difficult and you have to go under, around, or over the hurdle. Mm-hmm. That's when you learn what you're made of, Absolutely. what you can encounter and overcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Lord knows this industry is not easy. <laughs> right? It's not. It's yeah. really not. Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily easy for anyone. Yeah. Um, you have to be a certain personality type mm-hmm. to be successful. Um, but you have to be re- truly authentic. And it weeds out the inauthentic people. And we all know who, you know, we've encountered the inauthenticity where right. they're, they're in it for a dollar and they're not in it for the human connection. Because right. at the end of the day, what our business comes down to is creating experiences and connecting with others. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So our brands, especially as women, kind of need to create those experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for consumers. Yeah. And I think the big difference with Pomp and Whimsy is that, you know, unlike your Mazda example and unlike every other brand wheel that I've looked at, you know, for all the brands that I've worked on that never have women at the heart of them and now have making some cynical attempts to market to women, but not really in an authentic way with Pomp and Whimsy, all we all we ever wanted to do was just take a female perspective, just a female lens, a female story, a female way mm-hmm. of drinking and innovate through that lens. And yeah. in so doing, we have created something that A, is completely unique and unlike anything else your taste will find anywhere right now. But B, has been designed from the very beginning to be inclusive, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's we haven't dis- this is absolutely not a gin for women, right? This is about taking a female experience, a female history with gin, using it to innovate and creating something that can be enjoyed by everybody. And yeah. that's very much the, the difference between that and your your Mazda example. Um, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, I, I'm actually in the process of soft launching my first product line ever. Um, and of course it's a mixology product Yeah. and, uh, I'm not doing spirits because I don't, I don't, I don't even want to see what that looks like for me. 
<laughs> um, so I'm launching a non-alk mixer product yeah. to make the spirit experience easier mm-hmm. and more enjoyable for consumers so that they don't take a beautiful product and just throw tonic or soda or, you know, God right. forbid, like a cheap tonic or soda right not even a quality one like you or something yeah and um take it and just destroy all the work and ingenuity that went into it in the first place yes um but and and i'm not targeting women uh, necessarily um it's just created by a woman right Um, but yeah of course it's got some uh, heavy female overtones right but it's meant to be you know the entertainment option truly right. so yes. it's it's fascinating because like I'm looking at women like you and women like Allison who created the mm-hmm. square one portfolio and mm-hmm. Allison who park who created the brand whiskey mm-hmm. brand and I'm like god what you did seems so impossible mm-hmm. and so awe-inspiring and this is why I want to talk to women that do these things because it's it's hard it's yeah. a lot of work. It's more work than my brain can fathom at this venture at this point in time, you know? Well, you know um, what's really interesting about the 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 liquor industry, um, even just from I mean, like forget about even the regulatory side of things, forget about, you know, the how the, the three tier system and how tough distribution is. But just just from a marketing point of view, it is an extremely complex industry and you know i i talk about the anthropology of the cocktails one of my sort of pet themes but you know you have three different audiences when you launch any kind of liquor or spirit product because you have mm-hmm. your end consumer but you also have your distributor and you also mm-hmm. have your buyer and they're not necessarily put just picture the stereotype of those three people Right, that you pick. pick They're pick, very different people. They're very different people, and you have to create. You have to be able to create a brand and a brand story that can get through to all of them, and that is enormously challenging. And we're seeing the result of that during this current pandemic crisis because so many brands have been created around the system because the system is so hard to navigate, and then you take that system away. You take bars and restaurants away, which is where most people do their brand building, right? Until Oh, yeah. They're built on the bar. They're the, sold on the shelf. Exactly. And it's mm-hmm. gone. It's gone. Your, your entire craft industry, spirits industry is decimated. Um, yeah. So, you know, with Pomp and Whimsy, right from the very beginning, I was just, I was always very clear that I know who my end consumer is. I know why this needs to exist. And I don't need one channel or another to get there. Um, you know, obviously along the way, everyone needs to buy into the story. But, you know, we are, we're not dependent on one way of building this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's critical to the success of any brand is understanding where you want to go and working backwards, Absolutely. so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, making sure that you're resonating and you're 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 there for a reason and a purpose. Right. Um. So if you if you weren't doing this, like, what do you think you'd be doing if you had like, say that you sell the brand? I don't know if you would, but say that you sell the brand for, let's say the Grey Goose price of two billion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you do? 
Um, so it's it's funny because when I think about, you know, I, I, I gave you the sort of story in the beginning of how I got here and going through research from in different industries and different spaces and then finally culminating in creating something myself and bringing it all the way to market. I genuinely feel that I'm doing my life's work right now, that everything that I've done over the That's last amazing. 20 years is now coming into fruition. <clears throat> I'm applying all of this expertise and insight and then having that sort of emotional gratification of seeing it work you creating something that connects with people is enormously powerful and um quite exhilarating and so if and when this this brand does exit or this company exits or whatever the path forward looks like i don't i, I don't see myself wavering from my mission my mission is to bring diversity to the back bar and there is much more work to be done there and if it is not me doing it if I'm in the fortunate position where I have made a lot of money from my own entrepreneurial pursuit, I want to reinvest that and lift the rope. Yeah, I can't tell that's you how wonderful. Many, many people have lifted the rope for me, right? Especially women, men, I mean, men and yeah. women, but you know, bringing this all the way full circle and giving other people those opportunities that I've had and guiding them and helping them to, not make the mistakes that I've made and so on. Um, yeah. I also think that, you know, even just beyond innovating spirits, because I, I love innovation in general, I think that this platform of women as hosts taking women seriously mm-hmm. is bigger than just one gin. Um, and I want to pursue businesses that help to really bring that platform to life. And so... You know, when I sort of think about my business plan for Pomp and Whimsy, yes, I, I have a plan to sell cases, right? And I have a plan to um, expand across states and build to a certain size and so on. But I have a bigger plan <laughs> mm-hmm. that is about bringing diversity and expanding this platform around women as hosts. And quite simply, in the Pomp and Whimsy language, it's giving women back their rightful place um, and as I said, yeah. that's my life's work. So I will continue in whatever capacity. Yeah. Well, like the saying goes, right? If the if you don't if you can't find a seat at the table, make your own table. Exactly. This is what women are doing um, for each other, and women like you and the two Allisons that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and women like me that are creating uh, the foundation that supports this innovation. Right. It, like our purpose, our core purpose is not to just sit on mountains of money, but right. to make a difference, make right. a positive impact, leave a very positive legacy and tell a great story. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. So I love that. It resonates so much with me and I'm guessing it resonates a lot with our audience as well. Yeah. Um, because it's so important. Like, mm-hmm. When I when I when I rebranded and relaunched my company, I was like, I don't want to just be in business to make money. I want to be in business to make a difference. Right. And and I had grown very tired of just doing the job and not doing the job with a purpose that served others. It served my family, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But it didn't necessarily serve the world outside of my circle. 
Right. And I knew I had to do something that made that difference for others because not everybody has an entrepreneurial spirit. So those of us that do have a responsibility right. to do good with that. Right. I mean, you look at Bill Gates. He could sit on his mountains of money and not make a difference in the world, but he's not. Mm-hmm. He's not doing that. Right. I mean, he's out there. He's making a difference. And there are so many people like that. I mean, men and women. And I want to be a part of that. Right. Because otherwise I'm just here. I'm going to take up some air and then I'm going to like pass away. And if I've left nothing other than a few memories, I haven't done my, I haven't done my life any service. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think fundamentally as, as humans, we, you know, we are achievers, right. And when we think about what our place is in the world, as you say, when we come to the end of our life, we're going to look back on two things. We're going to look back on what we did and how we felt. Um, and yeah. I think for me, those two things are intimately connected. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, part of how you feel and how you do is what you do for others, right? So. Exactly. Exactly. And well, what you, by extension, if you're a parent, what you teach your kids. Right. Because that is, that is your life extension. Right. If you don't treat them how to behave that you want to see the world behave, then you've pretty much just breathed some air, taken up some space, eaten some food, and expired right. Right. before you ever made a difference for strangers. And that's yeah. the thing. It's not just people in the circle. You want to change the perspective. You want to shift the dialogue, right? I know I'm like all like Miss America. I want world peace. I do. <laughs> I'm also realistic. I'm a human. Right. So are all of us. World peace isn't gonna ever, ever happen. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's let's like let's focus on like maybe community peace or right. diversity peace. Like mm-hmm. let's just figure out how to come together in smaller ways that can create larger ripple effects. Right. Um but being in this industry, as you mentioned earlier, this is this is a, a tough job. Um, and it's not just if you're an introvert or if you're female. It's 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 just a tough business. Yeah. And it's an interesting and amazing and fun business. Mm-hmm. I mean, our lives are like other people's vacation stories right. for the most part. Right. COVID aside, yeah. We do the things that other people do when they save up enough money or whatever. Right. And that's what we do for a living. And that's the, the incredible part. And that's why I've never left the business ever since I got into it. Yeah. But I'm wondering, because our negative experiences, like I told you, I've learned more from my failures than I have from any success or all successes combined. Do you have an example of like a negative time or experience or a challenge that you faced, overcame, and it, it, you learned so much that it became a positive, even though it was in the time it was negative. Do you have an example to share? Well, I think the whole of 2020 is a living example well, yes. of that, <laughs> right? I mean, you yeah. know, we just so just to I mean, for people who are not in the industry, I mean, you and I know this, but as a new emerging small craft brand, you depend for about 80 to 90 percent of your revenue on bars and restaurants, as you said, you build brands in the on-premise, mm-hmm. you build volume in the off-premise. That's just been the the way that new brands have gone to market for decades now. 
and you know march april happens state nationwide shutdown pump and whimsy is primarily based right now on the coasts um so new york and los angeles have been kind of our two beachhead markets and they are two of the markets most severely impacted yeah. by the pandemic and you see your business disappear overnight right with yeah. absolutely no visibility on how or why it could come back um yeah and so for us much like everybody else we had to dramatically backpedal and pivot and completely rewrite our business plan in the space of about six to eight weeks and I remember um, having a call with my investor base in in April giving them an update on the situation and saying we're going to do everything that we can to bring this business online focus on the things that we can control which is our relationship with our consumers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We can't control where we're sold, but we can control how we get to our audience. And as long as we're still connected to them, we believe that we can, they will find a way. People have Mm -hmm. not stopped drinking. (laughs) People have not stopped drinking with brands. You know, (laughs) so there must be, there there should be a way to still get to them through other channels. And I'm really proud to say that we worked extremely hard and I know you'll appreciate this, that we I mean, I'm not kidding when I say we hustled for every bottle. We hustled for every bottle, every case. And then we started hustling for every account and every state. And we have Mm -hmm. gone from, you know, being, I mean, the craft spirit industry is reportedly 63% down on average this year. Mm. We are now 46% up year to date. <gasps> Congratulations. And you know, we That's huge. We have completely turned the tables. Um in fact this last quarter or in our rolling quarter we're up 150% compared to last oh, year. Oh my gosh. That is incredible. So how did you make this happen? I mean, everybody wants to know. (laughs) How did you do it? Well, you know, we focused on our consumer. So the first thing that we did was we brought everything we possibly could online, right? So whether this means pushing through getting listings um, on all of the major e-commerce platforms, um, including setting up our own shop interface, um, and then really really, as I said, focusing on different digital initiatives to connect with our consumers. So we drove traffic 400% up to our website um, during this period. Social engagement was up 65%. We grew our CRM. I think we are now up 600% on our CRM. And so just finding those new ways to to connect with our consumer. Um, One of the nice things actually about this period has been, has been, being able to take a step back and time out to really focus on content uh, because that's something Mm -hmm. we can all do right from our living rooms is produce content and pomp and whimsy is very much a story driven brand as i mentioned our mission is to 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 retell the stories of women write us back into history and and writing is something that's been easy to do so that connection piece has been easy and then like i say i'm very fortunate to have a team of people who have hustled like badasses um, and have got those reorders, have got new placements. We've opened new states and we've opened new accounts. And part of how we've been able to do this is going back to the very beginning 
we have a product that is different, it's unique, it's award-winning, it con connects with consumers. And so actually we've been able to cut through a lot of the noise and get listings where, you know, in a normal market, in a normal cycle, when there's 50 million gins clamoring for buyer's attention, you know, they're, they're taking one or two new products and we have been mm -hmm. fortunate to make the cut because they're looking for something different. different. That's what we have. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and you're in a category that is only seeing growth. Right. Too. I mean, people are, are getting more and more interested in gin and, and the properties mm -hmm. of the different gins. And they're adventurous. Right. So exactly. I know this is this. I love that you took the perfect shit storm mm -hmm. so to speak and turned it into an amazing opportunity right exactly I mean, that is that yeah. is a beautiful story I'm so happy for you and your team <laughs> yeah I mean you you have you're okay can I just I'm chan girling <laughs> <laughs> I think it's awesome I love it thank you oh my gosh but, you know it's um, funny because like if there's one thing that my training has given me you know running an agency for the last 13 years you know has been to always look for the opportunity always focus on where there is something to be had right so imagine yeah. you know I, I can't tell you how many projects I would have worked on where a client came to me with a crappy advertising campaign I went out around the country tested it lo and behold everyone hated it right I can't go <laughs> back to that client and say your advertising sucks, right? They would never <laughs> hire me again, even if that's yeah. what consumers are telling me. I have to go back to them and say, this is how we need to optimize this. In the course of doing this research, these are the other opportunity areas that open themselves up. With a simple mm -hmm. pivot of this, this could be a really brilliant campaign. And that was that every time <laughs> we're having to pivot. So you know, that actually gave us, I, like I said, I feel like I've been training all of my life for this, right? There's always, there's always opportunity. You just have to look mm -hmm. for it. Well, you have to be open to it. Too. You have to be open to like, it. Like, yeah. because even if you're not looking, sometimes it falls on your head. Right. And you have to be like, what, what was that? Yes. Okay. I'm going to take this. I'm going to do something with it. Right. Right. And often like, and this is what that what's uh, personally what's so fascinating to me about my own trajectory is that I never said no right when I was offered something that I didn't have the skill set for or didn't think I could do or didn't feel mm -hmm. like I was equipped or knowledgeable enough I never said no I was like okay yeah sure let's I'll try this figure it out why not exactly yeah I'll figure it out yeah. and it's that it's it's it goes like to the uh the style of improv is yes and right and that's what makes improv so engaging to watch or participate in right is because you take what someone gives you and you say yes and evolve it yes and that is that is the key I think personally to success is being able to take something that you receive mm -hmm. and act on it yes. and not just look at it and be like, no, oh, that was, that was rando. That thing fell from the sky and hit me. And now I'm just angry at it. So I'm going to throw it to the side. Right. It's like, Oh, that maybe that was actually a gift wrapped box right. with success in it. 
Yeah. So I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to open it and I'm going to see what I can do with what's inside. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I think also just, you know, we, we can't, we couldn't afford to stand still. Right. So I think there are a lot of businesses that were kind of like batten down the hatches, you know, wait, write, write this out, get every grant that you can wait for this to pass. And then, you know, wait for things to go back to normal. Well, guess what? nothing's ever got nothing ever goes backwards no. right history is yeah. as that and what's the point in waiting just look these are not the cards that we wanted to be dealt but they're the cards we have and as long as you still have a hand you can still play right yeah and so we just you know we just played that played the game with the new hand yeah that's a great analogy because that's completely true mm-hmm. pivot or die Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that Yeah, I completely agree. Because I was faced with the same thing. I mean, within one week, all of my clients were either shuttered or furloughed. Right. Um, and there wasn't an answer. There wasn't like an end date. There wasn't a stop date mm-hmm. for the whole, oh, God, this right. is awful. What do we do next? And so I, I immediately went into several pivot modes. But what I did on the company side was what I'm discovering now was rather unique. I stopped charging my clients for my time because, well, to be honest, they didn't need much of it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, I'm not charging. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you need. Let me help you through this. Right. Let me help be a part of your company's success story for free right because I don't want to come through this as a company if you don't survive and I don't want you to survive it and not come through it with me right exactly there's two sides to every coin like I I didn't want to be successful without them succeeding and I didn't want them to come through it and be like yeah she charged us the whole time (laughs) that company just kept billing and billing and billing and we were hurting and we we're losing people yeah. and she just kept billing and billing. No, that, cause that's not, that's not my personal ethos, but that's not right. my company ethos. And I, you know, I have this foundation that helps others. Right. So it really was, it would have been very contradictory for me as a company, me as a, as a woman to charge right. people that we're already paying me for our services. Right. Are paying the company, I should say, me. Yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying? And yeah, I, it's absolutely. not a great business decision. Like yeah, it's, it's a, a for-profit business shouldn't work for free. But I'm a for-profit business that supports a nonprofit entity, and that is my goal. Right. So if I have to take a few hits on the business just to keep the nonprofit side afloat, I'll do it. Yeah. Well, I think the the other thing to to, the other way to look at this is that you are in a relationship business. And oh, absolutely. You know, people will be for someone to stand by them during a period of great adversity, they will be loyal to you for the rest of their lives. And so even if you take a short term hit, those people will remember that you know, they will remember your empathy, your business empathy, and they will continue passing that on. And so it will. I really hope so. (laughs) It will. I promise you. 
because you were really right. Your instinct so. was right in that if you yeah. keep charging them and you are completely tone deaf to their situation, not yeah. only are you going to lose the business anyway, but it's not coming back afterwards. That's what I felt too. Yeah. Honestly, I was just, I, I am in a, a relationship. I'm in a committed relationship mm-hmm. with all of our clients mm-hmm. and th- there was no question for me. Right. I was like, well, no, I, this is how it looks now. Right. So I have to be responsible and I have to pivot my business and seek out other revenue generating sources because this is important that I don't generate revenue on this side. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Get back to me in a year and let's see how it works out. But because um, it's not always possible. But for me, I felt like it was the only option mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> for my company to stand in its ethos when the ethos was being tested. Right. Like mm-hmm. our foundation, mm-hmm. our principles. We're all being tested. Yeah. 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 You have Um, those as a business, as a brand, as a person, you, you have those values and you don't abandon those values just in times of crisis. And in fact, you should, you double down. And that's what I did. (laughs) I I doubled down on a 13 (laughs) playing blackjack here. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Who does that? No one. This girl, (laughs) evidently. Um, Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that works yeah, out. And also but... you take, you're taking, you know, it's healthy to take some risks as well. Right. Yeah. So you, yeah. You, you've taken a, you've taken a risk on your values and you'll, you'll, the, it'll come back. It, you'll, it'll prove that you took the right gamble. Uh, let's, let, yeah, let's hope so. I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and figure you as my Oracle. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, let's do that. Um, but I'm wondering, do you have any regrets or anything you would change or do differently based the, on your experiences? From the last year or in general? In general. Um, it what, can be anything, though. It can be the yeah. last year. It can be anything. Like, what was a, like a total learning pivot point? Um, I mean, I think I am. I know this sounds cliche, but I am definitely one of those people that doesn't believe in thinking what if, right? So I tend not to look back, but to look forward. Having said that, there are all there are things that we can all learn from in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I have a tendency to have regrets about things that I have given up prematurely or have given up for the wrong reasons. So, you know, if I was to go back to when I was a kid, giving up some of the musical instruments that I learned, you ah. know, I, I've missed out on that. And um, by, by giving up too soon or too early when things got too hard or too challenging. Um, more recently in my life, um, I've moved quite a lot in the last, over the last um, eight, nine years. And I and I, I think looking back on on some of the moves that I've made, and I'm talking about moving house, moving across state, moving back across state, I maybe would have not moved quite so quickly, um, just because an opportunity presented itself, um, but and uh, you know my present self would tell my past self that some of those moves were. Hard. every time you move and you 
pick up and take your family somewhere there's a huge adjustment period um, yeah. and I, I would I would weigh up considering although this is counter to my character at now with a family weigh up considering the costs of upping and moving versus staying put um and I, I but I think that like I could say that's something that's kind of evolving as my kids are getting older and as I'm thinking less about myself and the big picture opportunity and more about the other things that you need to take into account when you have a family yeah oh there's so much more to think about right <clears throat> yeah no and my husband and I have a similar conversation all the time he's retired I work remotely. I run a remote company. I mean, we could work from anywhere in the world, realistically. Mm -hmm. I would just have odd hours if we're a day ahead. Mm -hmm. But we've talked often about where where do we want to raise our kids? Right. We don't have to live here. Right. We don't have a reason to stay. Yeah. But our reason is now our kids. Like right. their friends, their social experience, the house they were born in. Mm-hmm those things and those are very um emotional reasons to stay in one place plus i really i really love our house right yeah. <laughs> and we we were decimated by hurricane harvey and we rebuilt mm, and so now i'm really emotionally attached right to a structure yeah which is you know let's talk about the health of being emotionally attached to a building but whatever you know yeah no yeah. I mean, it's, it's very much so yeah it's a good answer because you never know what the opportunity is going to bring on both sides right the exactly. the opportunity cost and the opportunity reward you yeah. just don't know until yeah. you pull the trigger one way or the other and then you learn and then you could always look and be like yeah but yeah typically when you make a decision you find the reason maybe not immediately but later on you find it right yeah so uh my my next question and this is my favorite question um because it's completely random and hard to answer for my uh interviewee but uh what would you want the listening audience to know about you um i would want them to know that i am not just making a gin for women I would want them to know that the mission here is so much bigger and it is about writing women back into the story in a way that is inclusive and accessible for everybody to relate to. And I would want them to not, not be tempted to reduce the gender question into, you know, four men versus four women and so on. And instead think about it from, point of view of creating multi-dimensional experiences that we can all benefit from that would be the thing I would want them to know about what I'm trying to do here that's that's a great answer I like it and that what I love about that question is that everybody has a totally different <laughs> way to answer it it's so fun it gives you so much insight <laughs> your purpose right yeah um so before we cut out, um, I want people to learn more about how they can reach you and how they can buy Pomp and Whimsy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I encourage you to go to our website, um, pompandwhimsy.com, not only to find where you can buy Pomp and Whimsy, but to learn about the history of the gin cordial and to go to our blog, which is called the Kindred Spirit Society, um, which is the story of, co- of women, the cocktail and other lovelies. And there you will find um, all sorts of fun facts and history about women and the cocktail as well as inspiration for making your own drinks today Uh, of course follow us on instagram at pomp and whimsy and if you're interested in me and my mission and my thoughts on the world you're very welcome to connect with me on linkedin um I love LinkedIn. In fact, I think that's where you and I first connected. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm a huge LinkedIn fan too. Yes. Um, or drop me a line. Awesome. Um, so let's, before we, uh, sorry, I should have asked this earlier. I'm a little delayed, but the Women's Cocktail Collective, talk mm. about that a little bit, because I think that that's something that we all need to understand more about. Yeah, so the Women's Cocktail Collective started at the end of 2018, um, and it it really began with a very simple idea, which was in the run-up and the planning for Women's History Month, we at at Pomp and Whimsy were thinking about how can we make it really easy for bars and restaurants and stores across the country to promote women-made So we were kind of thinking about the cocktail menu a little bit like the Supreme Court, (laughs) where, you know, what if we wanted to make the cocktail menu in every bar um, where 50% of the cocktails were made with spirits that are made or produced or designed by women. And we realized that most bartenders and bar managers had a lot of interest and desire to do this. They just didn't know how to Mm -hmm. because... They yeah. didn't know what was woman made. So yeah, exactly. we, we yeah. wanted to really bring the, Maha- the mountain to Muhammad and say, let's, we'll make it very easy for you. And here is a directory of women made spirits that are all awesome. Um, and that was kind of the impetus for it. And then it's just grown from there. So we started, it started with 10 female spirit makers. I think we now have 25, um, getting close to 30. And it's really just become a platform for promoting diversity, but also a network for promoting community and a support network for women in the industry, especially women who are starting brands and starting businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as you said, you rightly said at the beginning, women tend to be open books and there tends to be a desire among women to lift the rope and pay it forward and so it's it's evolved into this amazing community um, of women who are just there to act as resources for other a resource for other women in the industry without needing to pay a huge membership fee to join a trade group or something. You know, if you have yeah. a question about a business, how to run it, you need connections. Just we just call each other, um, and that's yeah, that's the collective. So you do you have a website? We do. Yeah. Women's Cocktail Collective. You can go there, visit the profiles, find out about each of the women, um, find out about upcoming events and tastings and so on. Um, Obviously. And learn about the spirits that are involved too. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's the critical point because 
the only way we're going to figure out this information is by what you've started. And I, I am so grateful that you've done this because <clears throat> there is, you are the resource right, for women, creative women-owned spirit brands. And there's so many and people just maybe don't know about it. Right. Um, so thank you for doing that. I, I'm grateful um, because I find it to be a resource. So I definitely wanted to share that too, not only to benefit you as one of the founding members, but also to benefit all of your members. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 There are some amazing products out there created by women um, and they should be highlighted mm-hmm. uh, always. So thank you so much for joining me on the show Um I've been I've been thinking and I was like, gosh, I gotta get I gotta get her on the show. <laughs> Dude, I definitely have to have her. So I appreciate your time. And uh I know we ran over because we talked a bit before we recorded, but um thank you so much for your patience, your honesty, and uh just for what you're doing for our industry and for women specifically in our business. Well, likewise, you know, the feeling is mutual. I am also a fan girl of you and everything that you do. And um, oh, thank you. really enjoyed reconnecting and hope that it won't be a year next time. Oh, gosh, no, <laughs> we have to get you to the witty conference. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to we have to get you to speak about what it is to be a woman that creates a brand um it's it's very inspirational so we'll we'll touch base on that too but thank you so much again nicola and thank you all for tuning in to lawler out loud mixing up the mainstream